Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the International Biodynamic Guild podcast. I am your host, Will Bratton, and today we're joined by Kira Sutherland. Kira is an Australian naturopath, nutritionist, herbalist, and medical astrologer. Known for her vibrant, straightforward teaching style, Kira has lectured in medical astrology within Australia, North America, and Europe. In private practice for over 25 years, Kira combines her knowledge in natural medicine and her passion for medical astrology into a wonderful mix of mind-body medicine. You can find Kira and her work at astrologyofhealth.com and her complementary medicine and sports nutrition practice, UberHealth, at kirasutherland.com.au. Kira, thank you for joining us. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I'm kind of excited. <laughs> awesome. So uh, when did you find this this subject, medical astrology? Oh yeah. Um, well, growing up, uh, I grew up with scientists as parents, but I did grow up in San Francisco in the 70s. So there was a lot of alternative around. And one of my mom's best friends, or who was my non-legal, I would say, um, godmother, um, non-official, non-religious, she was an astrologer. So she used to kind of feed me a lot of astrology growing up. And then when I but really medical astrology. When I started studying naturopathy in my early 20s, I also formally was studying astrology. And oh my gosh, my world changed the day the lecture, my teacher gave a two-hour lecture on medical astrology and how it lined, how, you know, the signs lined up with the body. And I was just like, wait a second, this is, this is this beautiful system that used to be part of medicine that is now just taught historically. And I was gone early twenties. I was just, I was diving in deep. Yeah. So, uh, how's, I mean, how has this changed your life? Oh my gosh. I, how has it changed my life? I can't imagine living my life without this filter or lens to look through. It's, it, you know, I don't want to say it rules my life, but it's such a deep part of everything I do from, you know, when you talk with people and knowing some of their astrology to just understanding why people have certain ailments or why myself or family, you, you, I, yeah, it's a filter. It's yeah. They're glasses. I just can't even take off anymore. Will. Where do you get your, um, source data, your ephemerides, all of this, where do you, where do you source it? Um, where did I learn medical astrology? You mean? Oh, well, or where do you, um, where do you go to get your, your, uh, source data like, uh, JPL or any particular website or any particular publication where, where do um, you, who do you rely on? Who do I rely on? Um, oh my gosh. So met- for medical astrology, really you are looking at books. You're not looking, there's not much on the, in- I mean, there is stuff on the internet, but it's new. Um, when I had to teach myself medical astrology, because I couldn't find anyone locally teaching it, um, I'm going back to books that are hundreds of years old to more recent books. Um, you know, Jane Ritter Patrick has a beautiful book called Handbook of Medical Astrology. Um, you know, I could list off a bunch of authors. Is that what you want? Please do. Yeah, Yeah, please do. Um, if you want the history of medical astrology, Lay Layman has a beautiful book on kind of traditional medical astrology. It, it's it's um, not so much technique as it is, you know, the history of it and how it evolved. And that's pretty interesting to read. Um, Jane's book I love. Judith Hill is another practicing medical astrologer currently who's 
she's got some great books. Um, yeah, she's who she's who referred me to you. She said you really oh, right. you really got it. Yeah. yeah, Judith and I um, we're a few decades apart in age, but we have really similar slant on how we use it. We're, we're different, but um, yeah, her books are beautiful. I have a book about four months from publication, five months. <laughs> Hopefully you guys can use me soon. Looking um, forward to it. Um, oh gosh, there's a book, one of my all-time favorite books, which is a bit biochemical. It's the only kind of nutritional medical astrology book is um, by Robert Carl Jansky. And that came out Mm, gosh, in the early 80s. He passed away in the mid 80s. It's like nutrition and medical astrology or some something mm-hmm. like that. Um, mm-hmm. And you could never go by Cornell's Encyclopedia of Medical Astrology, which is literally a big fat encyclopedia. That's just, you absolutely have to have that. In, and ooh, who else? Mm, there's a German guy named Doth, D-A-A-T-H, but there's an umlaut over one of the A's. And that was written, oh, at least 100 years ago. And that's another source I love. Um, i trying to think what else. That's a, oh, I have, I, I think I own almost every medical astrology book written in the West, at least. And um, yeah, Marcia Stark can't, she was probably one of the first books I found. And hers is um, it's quite simple, but really useful for like herbs and aromatherapy and chakras and things like that. It was originally called Earth Mother Astrology. Yeah. And looking forward to adding yours to the list. What's its title? Haven't decided yet. Haven't, yeah, not quite sure yet. Uh, you know, I toss around just between, I, I practice a very modern form of medical astrology. I, and by modern, I don't mean I've let go of the traditional roots because they're absolutely there. But the way I use it is much more modern um, style astrology. It's very natal um, horoscope astrology rather than, um, I don't know how into the astrology all your listeners are, but it's not just the traditional ideas. It uses all the outer planets. It it encompasses kind of everything. Um, very likely it could just get called naturopathic medical astrology. Cool. Yeah. Uh, do you have any experience with traditions like the farmer's almanac? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had a few years where I had it. Um, it's, you know, God, what a source and what a source that's been going. How many years has it been happening for, Will? Oh, gosh. In the United States, I, it, it was first uh, published by Benjamin Franklin, so oh, was it really? 250 oh, years. I yeah, like that. No, I knew it was old, but I didn't know it was that old. Yes. So I've had years where I play with it more. Um, I had a few years where I was trying to really teach myself biodynamics and, and other things like that. I can't say I have deep depth on it, but um, yeah, there's been years where I definitely have a good read and have a play versus other years where I'm yeah diving into other things. Well, what are your thoughts on the astrology of biodynamics? Oh, oh my gosh. Where do I begin? Um, look, Will, it's more that I, you know, I can probably only say that I've dipped my toe or part of my foot in. So to, you know, I love the idea of, you know, all that encompasses and how it is approaching um the energetics of, you know, farming and growing. And mm, I can't do it justice by saying anything, really. I have to say, no, I just okay. have huge respect for it. But yeah, for me to kind of 
I love the idea of it. I'm very lunar based, even as a medical astrologer, it's an area that I'm becoming a lot more focused on. And so probably that influence doesn't just come from astrology, but comes from when I have read so much on biodynamics. And um, yeah, it's not in my bio, but I am also a homeopath. So the idea of potentizing things and, Mm -hmm. and um, yeah. That's a perfect segue because I did want to talk about uh, the moon and um, how various lunar cycles might impact, you know, uh, human health or otherwise biology. And we've got five or six different types of cycles here. Uh, what are the impacts on lunar rising and setting rhythms on biology? It's a uh, cycle that happens every 24 hours and 50 minutes. Oh my gosh. So what's the impact? I'd, you know, just to take the 24 hour impact, I probably don't, I don't really focus on that as much as I focus much more on um, what's, so for me as a medical astrologer, I have a big focus on what sign the moon is in. So Mm -hmm. I'm looking more at, you know, that couple day cycle of how it's shifting energy more than I am the rising and the setting, although then I'm heavily looking at the eight lunar phases and and they haven't overly been used in medical astrology, but that's where I'm playing a lot is, is the eight lunar phases and the, you know, the waxing and the waning and, um, and how that is impacting, you know, there's all this research um, there's all this research on women's health at the moment, because if you go into the history of science, we, and, and clinical research, we've really focused on the male human body. And I'm talking about sex assignment and hormones from birth. I'm not talking about gender, just to be clear on that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so women have really been left out of the equation of scientific research because, Oh, they were off having babies and it was too hard to use us in clinical trials because we have all these fluctuations because of our menstrual cycles and millions of other things. It's hard to get women to go to clinical trials because they're busy at least, you know, decades ago. They were, um, you know, a lot busier. It's going to sound terrible, but they're a lot busier raising kids and running families. And so not having the time to make it to scientific labs to get things done is what was the excuse that was kind of given for why women weren't used in clinical trials. And we're sorry, I'm going off on this tangent. We're having this resurgence of, hey, we need to include, you know, female physiology bodies are 51% of the world's population. And Mm -hmm. we are now really starting to research female bodies and how we respond differently to foods, to physical exercise to medications. And in my sports nutrition naturopathy side, I'm really interested in that under under sports nutrition because there's this and weight loss because there's this whole different view on how women have these cyclical bodies that are on average 28, 29 days because of their menstrual cycle. And we now know if you split that cycle into two, we have a totally different expression of a lot of our physiology and what we can and should and shouldn't be doing, or there's theories on this. And so I've taken a lot of that scientific information. And for me, I've then brought in my medical astrology side and using lunar cycles. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just this beautiful lineup of 
this, you know, two halves to somebody's physiological cycle and using the waxing and the waning of the moon. And this isn't to say we're leaving men out. You can, um, you know, anybody um, can look at using, you know, the two halves of the cycle of the moon for, you know, so much to do with how we perform and physiology or how we need to be resting. And um, yeah, so that's a huge area that I've been diving into. And I'm not, I'm not trying to prove anything. I'm just showing it as theory for how to maybe symbolically work with our bodies, just like and in biodynamics where, you know, you're using so much of the lunar phases and cycles to support, you know, growth of plants. Why are we not using that to support the growth of humans? Yeah, tell us more. So, so you're saying that uh, female hormonal cycles are somewhat synodic? Yeah. So, you know, if you're looking at a woman's cycle, we have two main parts to it. We have the first day of menstruation, um, which goes to ovulation, which hypothetically is around 14 days. And that's referred to as the follicular phase. And uh, and then we have the second half of the cycle, which is day 14 to day 28. Again, if it's a perfect cycle um, or average cycle, I should say. And that is called the luteal phase. And what we now know or are starting to understand in physiology is the first half of this cycle. So from beginning of bleeding to ovulation, we our body is a lot stronger. We can exercise harder. We recover better. Our body actually uses our stored fuels in different ratios, but in a way that are easier to access for exercise. We hypothetically can build muscle more easily while we're exercising. There's just this long list of stuff where we just feel stronger and more potent and um yeah, we it's that would a, be yeah that would be the waxing phase. Yeah, absolutely, it would be the waxing phase. So it's this growth of the moon, and it's this growth of our bodies. Or you know, we're more the way I like to explain it to my clients is we're just more badass in this first half of the cycle. We are we have a strength and this outward doing ability that's so much stronger. And then after ovulation, which would be considered like the full moon, the peak, and um. And then we have that waning part of our cycle or what's known as the luteal phase. And that's actually considered the higher hormone cycle. So the first half of the cycle, we have lower hormones, especially the first seven days. It's when, when female bodies are more similar to male bodies. We don't have these, you know, there's almost no progesterone. There's very little estrogen till about day seven. Um, day seven to day 14, we have this huge surge of estrogen, but it's not until after we ovulate that progesterone has this huge surge and progesterone, then estrogen stays high in that second half. And and in the second half of the cycle, we can still feel good for about seven days, but especially the seven days before the cycle finishes or before you get your period, we have really high hormone, high progesterone. And this is where women... Um, hold more fluid outside of their cells rather than inside their cells, which makes them feel more bloated. We're more tired. Mm. We don't recover as well from exercise. We fatigue more easily. We, we become more dependent on our stored fats as a fuel rather than our stored carbohydrates. And that sounds good, but it actually doesn't make you feel as good while you're exercising. 
it's when we become more internal. We, we are, our metabolic rate actually is higher because our temperature is higher with higher progesterone. Um, so we burn more calories, but we absolutely crave more food and make up for the higher calorie burn by eating. And we crave more salt and sugar and we get grumpy and we don't feel like pushing it hard. We feel like resting and, and science is kind of showing us this is probably true, what we should be doing. We should be more internal and receding or, you know, like the moon is pulling in its shape. We should be pulling in and more nourishing rather than it's not an expansive period. It's a retraction period. Did that make sense? This is a, yeah, it does. This is a very uh, ignorant male question I'm about That's to okay. ask. That's um, all right. So I, I believe I've read, but you probably know better. Uh, is there any way that women can, uh, any practices they could, um, you know, uh, perform where they could put themselves back on a cycle with the moon? Oh, yeah. It's not an ignorant question at all. Um, it's, and look, if, you're, if your own body clock as a female or anybody uh, with a menstruating cycle, um, if you are not aligned with the moon, there is nothing wrong with you. I will explain how to try to align with it, but just know, and a lot of women don't have a 28-day cycle. It's shorter or it's longer, but it's the idea that our hormones go in a rhythm very similar to, you know, is what is being emulated by the, you know, what's similar to what the moon does. Um, now, the majority of women either um, ovulate at the full moon, like I was talking about, or or um, at the new moon, or, you know, better way to say it is a lot of women get their period at the new moon, but a lot of women get their period at the full moon. And there's nothing wrong with being in that opposite cycle. Those are just the two most common times women get their periods. When you want to try to align to the moon cycle, the suggestion is like a lot of people when they go camping and they're under the stars, they will have an alignment. So the biggest thing is um, being out of light pollution and blue light and electricity. Or um, I've read, you know, I haven't, I've read a lot about how to do this. Have I actually done this a lot with clients? No, but um, other techniques are actually sleeping under certain light so that it's shifting your cycle because you're giving it false light so that mm -hmm. it elongates the cycle. But I, I have to say, I haven't actually played with that a whole lot, which seems a little bit odd, but I haven't. <laughs> well, uh, and I do want to know more about the moon and fertility. Yeah. Uh, but I was wondering if there's any other, any other lunar cycles that um, are, that you have found relevant, whether it's uh, nodal or uh, apsidal or any of those. Look, the big ones, I mean, I think everything has its place and has its influence. Um, uh, I definitely do look at the lunar nodes when it comes to medical astrology, but I prob it's probably an area I need to dive deeper into. I haven't, um, I think Judith Hill probably has the best writing on mm -hmm. the nodes and, um, and medical astrology, um, the Vedic. Uh, Vedic astrologers are very into looking at the nodes and I haven't I haven't gone overly deep into that except for looking at the nodes as trigger points for um, 
health crises, whether it mm-hmm. be um, something coming back and causing another problem or a crisis about, you know, starting or, or sometimes it's a trigger for something to go away or an awareness of why something's happening in the body and what to do about it. Let me also back up. There are probably herbs you can also use. Not, not probably. There are herbs you can use to help shift a menstrual cycle or at least help try to get a cycle back into a great rhythm. So I do use a lot of herbs that way, but I'm not always, usually I'm just using them to try to get a strong cycle in a female. I'm not pushing it for trying to align it to the moon cycle. When I work with clients, I'm very much about we can work with the lunar, you know, the visible lunar cycle, or we can work with um, your own period and its cycle. Or if I'm working with men or people that don't have periods due to, you know, loss of the uterus or due to being on contraceptives that stop um, the cycle altogether, I use the, I'm coming around back to your question. I use the progressed um how do I explain this? I use, I don't really use a progressed lunar cycle. I use somebody's own lunar phase um, mm-hmm. angle. And do you need me to explain lunar phase angle? Please. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. So um, in astrology, when you are looking at where, you know, if you're looking at the whole natal chart, so not just your sun sign or just your moon sign, but you're looking at the whole circle, you measure the angle between the sun at, to the moon to see how, w- basically you're looking at what shape the moon was the day you were born. Mm-hmm. And you can calculate that from somebody's natal chart as well as looking almanacs and, and ephemeris to see what shape the moon was. So you have, you know, one of the eight shapes of the moon as it gets divided down. And I know it gets divided into other numbers, but eight is the one I use. And so you are looking up what shape the moon was the day you were born, like to the exact degree of the 360 degrees of the wheel of the horoscope um, or the natal chart. And I, if somebody doesn't have their own cycle, like menstrual cycle due to, you know, not being a female or all the other reasons I listed, I will... I will kind of make a decision or we'll have the discussion of, do you want to use the visible lunar phases or do you want to use your own natural lunar phase cycle, which is going and using whatever shape the moon was the day you were born? Like, do you know what shape the moon was, Will, for you? No, I don't. Oh, we'll have to look that up. So um, so let's pretend (laughs) you were born at what's known as the disseminating moon, which is, um, you know, the full moon is day 14 through about day 15, 16, almost to day 17 of the 28-day cycle. And then it moves to the disseminating moon. So it's the waning cycle. Um, And what we do is we measure exactly, you know, say you were born 19 days after the new moon. So we know that. So every month, 19 days after the new moon, that is what is known as your lunar phase return. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So we use your lunar phase return. And and for you, I would consider that day one of your cycle. 
So if I was working with you on a 28-day cycle of strength and growth versus, you know, relax and recede, we would we would use that day as your own cycle because it's the it's like coming back to your own you know, it's almost like saying the moment you were born is like a new moon. And so it's coming back to that 28-day rhythm from the the day you took your first breath. Are you I following just looked me? it up. I, did. I am. I, I, knew I, you was doing it, it up. I was doing it at the same time. Yeah, I, wanted to, <laughs> I could tell. I was listening. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, waning crescent in Aries, uh, an old moon. Waning. So, uh, um, okay. So you're... Um, does it say what day? Uh, my birthday? No, no. Does it say like out of the 28th oh, day of it? Yeah. Waning crescent. It looks like that would be the, the, uh, last eighth. Yeah. So we would really call that balsamic, right? Mm-hmm. So you're born a balsamic moon, which in astrology, not medical astrology has this whole connotation about karmically you're in an, an eight. So that's the eighth phase. And, um, there are some great books um, if you ever want to get into reading about, and I know I'm diverging quite far here from medical astrology, but um, um, Dane Rutger um, uh, um, wrote kind of the original writings on this. I'm sure he got it from some ancient texts, but he wrote on the eight phases that you can be born in and the kind of karmic and esoteric meaning of that. And there's personality traits to each of the phases and, and um, and then Demetra George wrote a book called Astrology, mm, Finding Your Way Through the Dark, actually, is the book. And she takes Dane Rutgers um, information and r- writes about it further. That is probably one of my all time favorite astrology books on the moon. And her book is the book that expired. Her book is what inspired me to really think about these eight phases and then when I came across the medical research on, you know, the cycles, it, that was kind of one of the inspirations into how I'm now working with the moon. And they even talk about like personality traits and they talk about like almost karmically, if you're talking about reincarnation, you know, you're on an eighth life. Uh, you know, we have these cycles of eight lives and then you move to your next cycle of eight lives and so on. And so a, a balsamic moon is where you've kind of been through this whole process of eight lives and you're now distilling all of that information down into like a seed capsule. If you were a plant, let's mm-hmm. bring it back to, let's bring it back to um, planting. You are the seed capsule who has taken all the wisdom of these eight cycles and put it into the seed to be planted for your next cycle of eight of growth and what you're here to do. It's a really beautiful um, system to look at. Awesome. We'll keep it, keep them coming. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't even know where we were on a question there, but we were talking about, oh yeah, you being a balsamic. So we could start you at the balsamic moon as your phase if you didn't want to go by the moon phases. So it's just a more personal way to look at your body's actual rhythm and cycles. And I have clients that prefer to use the visible lunar phases and as we do with, you know, um, farming and, and growing other things, or you could use your own personal phase and people find they prefer one over the other. Here's 
if you're, you know, a waning crescent, you're pretty close to a new moon though. So you're not, Mm -hmm. you'd only be two or three days off of the actual lunar cycle anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, what other aspects or, um, uh, astro conditions, uh, have you found most relevant in, in health and biology? Oh, you you mean to do with the moon or uh, or any? No, I, I could ask all sorts of you know uh, pointed questions about lunar cycles or solar cycles or, or planetary uh, positions, but um, I I think uh, it, it might be best if, if you just uh, speak to what you find to be most useful for you. Oh my gosh, I I find every planet useful. I mean, we in medical astrology, you're always first going to look at you know, what sun sign somebody was born under, because that has so much to do with the strength or slight weaknesses of their constitutional health. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not going to get every ailment that sits under our sun sign. It's, it's, it's more that there are certain body parts that, um, you know, are more prominent for when you do injure yourself or you do get sick, it, it tends to be more in that area. Um, but I, I look way beyond the sun. The moon has so much sway. You know, your moon in medical, your moon in astrology is about your emotions and your habit patterns. And, you know, uh, there's another astrologer that talks about the moon is your emotional backpack that you carry around every day to locate your needs. And the moon has so much influence on, you know, in medical astrology, it rules the chest region, the breasts, um, for everybody, not just women. Um, it, but especially rules digestive function. So your stomach, upper digestion, how we blend and process things. You know, if you think about the stomach, it's like this blender of, of everything we eat and, and the moon, um, in medical astrology, you know, so much of our habits, and how we operate on a daily basis fluctuate like the moon. And, and there's this whole link between, I mean, we now know in medicine, what we eat greatly influences how we feel. We know that, you know, your body creates different levels of certain chemicals in the body, depending on the foods you've chosen to eat. And, and I love how that's justifying and reaffirming medical astrology's links with the moon and emotions, but also with food and your food choices and, and how, how, yeah, your digestive system functions. So those are, you know, probably the two biggest areas I look at as well as in astrology, you heavily look at what's known as your ascendant or your rising sign, um, which is taken from the exact, um, moment you took your first breath or the time of birth. You know, if you see an astrologer, you know, we were, all, we're always going to ask date of birth, place of birth, but we, we want time of birth to do a calculation. And in regular astrology, we talk about the ascendant being like this filter or this lens that we experience life through. And we put everything through this lens even before we let it get to our sun sign. But in medical astrology, your ascendant is actually what rules your physical body. It's the it's the doorway to the chart, and it's like the way I explain it to my clients is, it's 
um, if we were all warriors, if we were all, you know, Viking warriors or wherever you want to be a warrior from, it's your shield that you have to protect yourself with. And, and you meet the world and the world's stresses through the shield or through your rising sun. And so that is why it, um, it rules your physical body because, you know, it's, it's our body incarnate and how we meet stress. And so I heavily look at a rising sign or ascendant for your most typical ailments and weaknesses as far as medical astrology goes. So I'm, I was reading some of your blogs and uh, it, it talks about, you know, we talked a little bit about lunar phases and um, uh, I don't know, how would you say like hormonal health? Um, but it also refers to, or you also reference um, like a detoxing program. Yes. Is there any overlap with uh, detoxing? And then like you're referring to uh, certain zodiacal signs and their relation to certain organs. Would you do liver detoxing uh, at I some ideal condition related to uh, the zodiac and the moon? Sure, sure, sure. So, um, yeah, so I use the lunar cycle, like the waxing and waning. I would use, you know, the waxing or the building moon. I actually, in traditional medical astrology, you would, let me back up. Traditional medical astrology, you would often do weight loss or detoxification from the full moon to the new moon. While the moon is shedding, you know, it's the idea that your body can shed um, toxins more easily. Hopefully your body can shed more weight. And I don't disagree with that, but I haven't found for detox, I find it works quite well, but for weight loss, I haven't found it works very well. I prefer to use the idea of the building moon um, for weight loss, because it's the idea that you are, you have more, more stamina and more willpower in the first half of that moon cycle. Um, so as I said, you're more badass in the first half of that cycle. So I use that idea as you are building your new body. And I find people do better with weight loss from the new moon to the full moon. Or if it's a female and they have a cycle, I'll do it from period to ovulation. That's when I actually do more restrictive, um, you know, eating, more exercise. And then the second half of the cycle is more of a resting phase Yes, you can be doing detoxification things, but it's, um, yeah, it's resting and not going as hard. And we actually have research that's come out in the last couple of years. There was a, um, my favorite paper on it is called the Matador study. If you just Google Matador study, it's, um, it was um, a clinical trial on, I think it was 80 obese men. It wasn't even women, but they put them through cyclical dieting where they were dieting for three weeks on. Oh, sorry, where they were dieting for two weeks on, and then they were relaxing their diet for two weeks off. I mean, they weren't going crazy, but they were not being as restrictive. And they actually got the same, if not better results um, with this two-week on, two-week off cyclical dieting as people mm -hmm. who did straight dieting really restrictive for 12 weeks. And, and it's a lot easier to do on and off than it is straight, you know, if I tell somebody to diet for three months, they, you know, they don't like you very much. So um, I use that, but back to your um, other, that's one half of what I do. The other half of what I do is yes, you can look at things like the sign of Scorpio. This is more specific to different signs of the Zodiac. 
you know, Scorpio rules the detoxification and elimination channels of the body. So it rules the large intestines or the, you know, the end stage of what is the digestive system, but it also rules sweating, sweat glands. Um, it rules part of the urinary system. So a lot of the channels where we release things are ruled by Scorpio and, um, and you can use that for pushing a little bit harder when the moon is transiting through Scorpio or, um, Sometimes I will use the opposite sign while it's actually in Taurus and give a bit of emphasis in that opposite sign because you really have these channels or lines of energy between opposing signs. Um, I would often use, you know, Sagittarius um, is the sign that rules the liver, which is actually your chief detoxification organ. Mm -hmm. So... um, Again, you can push a little bit harder at that time. Um, But I have to say, I more use lunar cycles and lunar shape for employing detox and weight loss and things like that than I do actually the astrological ones. Because I sometimes when people show up and they want to do something, I don't want to be like, oh, well, we've just had moon in Scorpio. So you now need to wait another, you know. 24, 25 days until we can actually do this. I don't find people have enough patience to wait for that energy. Do you think if it were preemptive, if uh, if, if you had uh, some long cycle program that uh, if, if they were to cycle into it eventually, there, there would be any, yeah. any value to it? Yeah. Absolutely. I think there would be value to it. It's much like, you know, like, you know, or even going into the... Yes, absolutely. I agree, Will. Or you could go into using just the elements, you know, and mm. and how, um, you know, with water and earth, there's so much more nourishment and growth versus, you know, the fire in the air could be used more um, for that release because it's not as, you know, nourishing in some ways. So you would almost go into, you know, as biodynamics, you know, you know, obviously everybody knows a lot more than me on biodynamics, but that whole idea of looking at what sign the moon is in for what you're doing farming wise, absolutely. The body is the same and can respond probably with all the same rules that people use within biodynamics. You know, we're talking about mother earth or we're talking about your own body. It's kind of the same thing, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. Well, yeah. um, Meta. Um, so, uh, what other, um, applications might you have for use of the elements? What are some other instances where you're, you're looking at the elements and, and applying them in different ways? Sure. So, um, when I meet somebody and I'm looking at their natal chart, I will always look at the balance of elements in their body, you know, and there's a way to calculate giving certain points to different planets, um, And so we, yeah, we calculate an elemental makeup of someone. So somebody can be really fire and air dominant and be very low in earth and water. And so you can, or I do look at different foods to help or different activities, um, different herbs, anything really can be divided down into the elements. So I will look at is there too much fire and too much heat going on in this body? Do I need to bring in more water and more moisture? Because, you know, with, you know, fire being hot and dry and water being cold and wet. 
And so I will try to find some balance, especially through diet. Um, I play with that a lot. Yeah. Are there any of the, um, you know, just planetary aspects like oppositions, conjunctions, trons, squares, sextiles, anything like that that you uh, employ? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I especially use what are known as the more traditional aspects. So conjunction, opposition, uh, trine, square. I don't use sextiles that often. I'm aware where they are. Um, and I also use the quincunx or the inconjunct, mm. which is the 150 mm. degrees. When planets are 150 degrees apart from each other, which is a very awkward angle. Judith might have talked about this. I'm not sure. Um because those planets can, you know, that distance from each other can cause a lot of um, irregularity in the body. So I'm looking at quincunx for, you know, odd reactions between two parts of the body talking to each other, whereas in opposition, you can really have fluctuation of physiology between those two planets. Um, or, you know, if you have an opposition from the sun to, say, Saturn, you know, mm -hmm. Saturn causes slowing down and restriction and binding. And so, you know, sun opposite Saturn can be under functioning or slowing of a function. Um, so I do and conjunctions again, you can't when planets sit right near each other, you really can't separate them. And physiologically, I find they they have to have this conversation with each other as they operate. So again, uh, I look at the influence of a planet and I, yeah, I, yeah, especially look at conjunctions, oppositions, squares, and quincunx for interfering with physiology. Right. Whereas the trines more allow flow between two parts of the body, although we can get lazy. You know, we, we talk about, you know, some aspects being negative or causing problems with function and some being positive, but the positive aspects can cause a lot of laziness between areas or overindulgence in some ways. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Are there any that you look to take advantage of routinely? Kind of a low hanging fruit? Oh, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that. Um, oh, do I? Um, not, not off the top of my head. Um, no, I, d I probably should, but I haven't really thought no, about okay. it that way. I just kind of look at the chart as this is what, you know, the way I describe the chart to a lot of people is it's like your classroom of students that you have to work with, or maybe a better explanation is your natal chart and all your planets are like an orchestra, but, um, and you all have to play together to make this amazing music, but uh, you also need to give every planet its own solo. You know, you need to give attention to every planet in the chart. Otherwise, they will cause problems or become out of right. tune. And that's where we have a lot of illness or problems, you know, is a planet asking for its own solo. So, um, yeah, I should take advantage of certain aspects more, but yeah, the really positive aspects I find most people show up already using those in a pretty great way. Um, I'm more, I guess I look at people's strengths and then I try to kind of encourage them to use those strengths 
when dealing with the harder aspects of their chart. So just knowing the type of person they are and their personality, I, I'll use it that way, but not so much medically. Got it. More motivationally. Hmm. So uh, I couldn't recommend your blog uh, enough for the subject. And one that really, one of, one of your articles that really stood out oh. is uh, Nature's Seven Healers in the Zodiac. Oh, I loved that one. Yes. Could, yeah. could you share yeah, uh, kind sure. of some of the overarching themes? Sure. So this is, so if I were to describe myself, I am this perpetual student. If, if people know astrology, I'm a Sagittarius moon in the ninth house. So I have this questing drive to always be learning and searching, especially on kind of metaphysical and secondary education levels, university levels. So I'm just this, I'm this person that's always searching for meaning and connecting things together. And that's what makes my soul sing. And I love learning different disciplines or different ideas and then layering them together. Or that's how just my brain works is I, I connect, you know, things that aren't connected. I try to overlap them and, and yeah, it's like layering up a bunch of transparencies together, I guess. Um, like transparent. Um, oh, I'm showing my age here. Um, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. People wouldn't even know what I'm talking about, but like, say you have a, a see-through, oh, 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 like, oh my God, how do I describe that? I'm just okay. layering different yeah. ideas together, but being able to see through each layer to the next layer and how they connect. That's the best way to describe it. Um, so Nature's Seven Healers, the idea for that came from traditional naturopathic philosophy where we have... Um, and. Look, I would say I got this information from um, books on naturopathy. My One of my favorite old naturopaths who's passed away years ago is a man named Pavo Airola, A-I-R-O-L-A. And, um, but he would have got, he was a European doctor, naturopath, and he would have got this from, you know, hundreds of years even before this, probably. Um, and it's the idea that, Nature has seven pathways of healing. And if we work on each of these pathways on a daily basis, that is our best way to vibrant health. And so the seven healers are, here we go. I'm, I'm, I always forget one when I get on, on, um, put on the spot. So taking in enough sun. So getting out and getting healthy sunlight. Um, we know, you know, biochemically, we know that looking at sunrise and sunset without sunglasses on, seeing that full spectrum of light actually shifts a bit of the biochemistry in the body and it's uplifting and potentially kind of almost antidepressant. But we also are, you know, synthesizing vitamin D from the sunlight. And just as we know, being outside is so healthy for you. So taking sun, drinking enough clean water every day, that probably doesn't need description, you know, proper hydration. Um, air, fresh air. So deep breathing, proper breathing. Um, and you know, this is long before we knew the connection between breath work and like polyvagal or vagal nerve, you know, uh, mm -hmm. therapy connection. Um, but you know, proper lung filled breathing and, and breathing fresh air, not city air. Um, um, I flew into LA the other day and um, I'm always amazed at that little haze that's there. Um, um, so sunshine, water, fresh air, 
whole foods. So eating a, a healthy diet, that's, you know, thousands of hours of lectures in itself. Um, exercise. Um, oh my gosh, rest. Um, so proper sleep, you know, that seven and a half to eight and a half hours of sleep. We know biochemically now how important that is for cortisol levels and everything. And then the seventh one is emotional and mental well-being. So focusing yeah. on your emotional level. Did you have them sitting there in case I couldn't remember? I why? did. Yeah, I had you covered. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, good. So those seven, and you will often see them, you see them all the time now on the internet in memes and, you know, little clips. And sometimes I call them um, nature seven doctors, but I tend to say nature seven healers because I don't, you don't need to use the word doctor. Sometimes you see one of them dropped off and it, they only say six, um, but traditionally it was seven. And, and then I, uh, you know, so I used to lecture a lot um, to corporations and I would actually use that theme of nature seven doctors to kind of get people who are busy with their lives to check back in on themselves. And I'm like, how many of these seven things do you actually focus on on a daily basis in your life? And most of us living in the modern world who are super busy, we only hit two to three of those every day, which, you know, you look at those seven and you go, oh my God, they're so stupid. They're so obvious. But to hit all seven of those in a day can be incredibly difficult. You know, life gets in the way. Temptation gets in the way. So, so I used to always just lecture on that. And then, it, you know, the astrologer in me comes in and goes, oh, but there's seven traditional planets or bodies that we have always used. This is, these are the seven visible bodies in the sky because we can only see, you know, we've got sun, moon, traditional astrology goes, you know, has sun, moon, and then we have Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, which takes us to seven. And I had the idea, and this is completely Kira astrology, but I was like, why don't I match up the seven healers to the seven, what we call seven traditional planets or bodies. And so I started looking at how do they line up with each other and using, you know, and looking at the medical astrology of each of the planets and what they represent and how that, yeah, how that aligned with these nature's seven healers. And I've had a lot of fun with those over the years. Um, again, it's about, you know, I talked about before, if you ignore a planet, it's when it starts to cause you problems medically or emotionally or spiritually in your chart. And so by taking your seven healers, taking these seven planets and taking them out to play, they feel nourished, they feel heard and recognized. And hopefully then their physiology will function better. That was a really roundabout way to tell you that story. <laughs> no, it's good. And I just, I was uh, like with so many of these uh, ast astrology uh, subjects, I'm just surprised by how, um, how accurate uh, the details are about, you know, my, um, you know, nativity or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's, it hit it on the nose and it's, yeah, it's just, I recommend it to anyone yeah. who's interested in the subject for sure. Yeah. I probably, if I don't have... Oh, I don't know if I have a lecture on that on my actual website for sale or not. I just gave a workshop on it. So I will I will try to make sure I can locate that soon. 
or I will redo it and have it available. But the one, you know, the one that always blows me away when I was lining everything up is the planet Saturn. And Saturn is, you know, considered one of your traditional malefic or or problem-causing planets. Mars and Saturn are the kind of, were considered the really hard planets that bring, you know, you know, Mars is about inflammation and heat and redness and swelling um, and pain. And Saturn brings the slowing down of things. Saturn rules old age. It's under-functioning. It can bring about melancholy or depression. It, 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 um, it brings lack of movement and, you know, like arthritis could go, you know, uh, aging, the aging process. And, but in traditional, when we only had out to Saturn as far as planets, Saturn was the traditional ruler of sleep. And everyone like freaks out. They're like, no, no, it's the moon that should be sleep or Neptune if you're looking at the outer planets. And I, and I don't disagree. There's, there's parts to that that should, you know, not everything just has one rulership, but mm-hmm. Saturn, you know, I had to really think about Saturn and sleep. And the truth is, you know, Saturn is about sitting still and not moving. Like if you break your arm and you put it into a cast, that's a Saturn style treatment is casting a bone right? Uh, You know, immobilizing Mm -hmm. it. And when we sleep, we are not moving much. We are resting, we are rejuvenating. And, um, but even in like, if you look at the REM state of sleep, you got your four stages of sleep, but REM, you know, when the eyes are moving really wildly, your body actually creates a chemical that actually kind of paralyzes all your muscles so that you're not, we would be thrashing around in our sleep during REM state if your body didn't create certain chemicals to keep you more still. And Saturn also rules paralysis or not moving. And I thought, oh my God. And you know, there's no way medical astrologers knew this hundreds or thousands of years ago yet, or maybe they did, but we have this rulership of Saturn keeping you still. And in sleep, you're creating chemicals that immobilize you. And I just, you can't make this stuff up. It's so beautiful. The, you know, symbolism between the planets and what they rule. Did that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, yeah. It, uh, Saturn doesn't, that it, it makes sense to me for sleep. I mean, the crone, it, uh, the, the, the cycle of, of heavy time, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so all of these, you know, energies or, or otherwise uh, conditions, do you think that there are ever conditions that we're going to, or energies that we're going to be able to measure and or potentially synthesize? Or is it something that's, you know, part of the great mystery that we'll never understand? Oh, I have no answer. Okay. <laughs> I hope do we you- do. I hope we do. But I don't, I, I, I can't, um, maybe... Um, explain that question to me more and I might have an answer for you. Uh, do you think we'll be able to, to uh, um, scientifically create a, a measurement tool that can um, measure the energy of Saturn and Leo or, or whatever, you know, like will we be able to? Gosh. Um, mm, I don't have enough Aquarius in my chart to have an answer for that. Fair enough. Okay. The Aquarians probably could answer that question. I don't, I would hope so, but I don't know. And then a part of me is like, yeah, it is the great mystery. And does it need to be proven? I don't know. There's, I just think there's so much in the world we need to, yeah, 
I don't know. I'm okay with either, personally. Yeah, just, I'm too. Like, part of me is like, do we have to measure that? But no, it's yeah. the great mystery is yeah. wonderful. I think you know, I've got this love hate relationship with reductionistic, you know, mm-hmm. scientific theory where everything has to be proven, and I just think there's so much beauty in the world that can't, you know, there's so much, you know, we need magic as well as mm-hmm. science. I I, mm-hmm. I kind of joke um, that the way my soul operates or my brain or, or, you know, I have this hugely scientific side to what I do. And then I have the magical or what I want to call the sacred side to what I do. And, and I'm okay that they meet and that's a really fun place, but they can each have their own specialty area as well. Same. Yeah. So uh, we live in this um, kind of uh, daily Gregorian calendar. Do you have any opinions on the Gregorian calendar? Do you think we'd do better with a different calendar like those that came before it? Uh, mm-hmm. do, you have any, do you think the Gregorian calendar has any um, influence on how our society is structured? Oh, that's so fascinating. Um, you know, it's interesting too, because I live in Australia, where if you talk to um, the the aboriginals, the, you know, the mm-hmm. natives of, uh, you know, uh, the traditional land owners, I'm going to get that correct. Um, I think in Australia, we originally had eight seasons, or they divided, you know, the year up into eight. I think the Gregorian calendar is just so enmeshed into our psyche. You know, I, yeah, I'm happy to operate with it, but I guess I just use so many other layers of timing as well that I don't think it's the be all to end all, but I, I don't mind it. Um, I was actually just reading on all the different calendars the other day. That's funny. I, mean, I can't even tell you where I was reading about it. Um, I'm I'm a seasonal girl. I, I think seasons for me are much more powerful than, than our Gregorian calendar. Um, and I love, I guess I'm a bit of a traditionalist of using, um, I love the old, you know, Celtic or Druid, um, you know, eight, you know, fire festivals or the, you know, the mm-hmm. traditional festivals of Northern European. Um, and maybe I love that because that's my genetics, um, but that sings to my soul in a different way. So I'm a huge fan of, I think we can just operate on whatever calendar we want within what society deems our calendar to be. Yeah. I don't know. What do yeah, you really, use? Am I allowed to ask you questions? <laughs> <laughs> you can. Um, How yeah, do you I, feel on that one? I'm really curious. Uh, I like I like them all. Um, I actually hope that uh, I can be involved in a kind of a technological pursuit where we layer all of them on top of one another and, oh. and try to prove out what's um, what, what brings the most value. Um, Kind of in a new global culture, but we'll see. Oh, that would be amazing. You have to let me know what you're doing. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'll have questions for you on Yeah. The farming festivals, you know, the Celtic festival or whatever I should be calling it, you know, um, Samhain and and Mm -hmm. Imbolc and all that. I just think, you know, because they're so related to farming actually and the lunar and solar cycles of the year. And we just had Lamas recently. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Although in uh, Australia, we had the opposite, which I want to say is in bulk. Because I'm, again, I'm Northern American born, but I've transplanted myself to the Southern Hemisphere. So I'm in opposite seasons. And so it's really, it's it's odd in some ways. And I have to say, um, 
my body actually, and my health is great. My life is good in Australia. I'm definitely meant to be there. But when I, I'm currently traveling in North America as we're doing this chat. And there's a realignment for me when I come back to the mm. Northern Hemisphere that actually feels better on my body. I don't know if it's that I actually come back within, I'm, I'm 20 miles away from actually where I was born. Um, um, I think there's a realignment to our body when we come back to, you know, your point zero. Um, That's yeah, absolutely. Um, but the, Oh, I forgot even where I was going with this. The, the seasons, you know, the sad thing is I live in a country. If you want to hear what I deem a sacrilege in Australia, they decided, you know, using changing the seasons at the equinoxes and the solstice was too difficult. <laughs> this, this, this is going to make you cry, right? Like, you know how we have the equinoxes and the solstices at like, you know, sure. somewhere between the 19th to the 23rd of, you know, uh -huh. okay. you know, March and September and all that. Anyway, in Australia, somewhere in like the 60s or the 70s, I don't know, I should Google when some, I'm going to, I'm going to say now some patriarchal politician went, that is too hard to follow nature. Let's change the season at the first of the month. Wow. I, I kid you not. So we actually change seasons three weeks early. And then everybody walks around going, geez, it doesn't feel like spring yet. I know we've already, it's because the Australians don't actually know about changing seasons at the solstices and the equinoxes. You know, there's people born who that's all they've experienced is it changing on the first and they don't realize the majority of the world changes seasons three weeks after them and drives me insane. It's like my mission in Australia when people start wishing each other, you know, happy spring on the first of the month. I'm like, it's not spring. No, I do. I like keeper. your, yeah. I like your, um, your logo on your side of the, uh, four alchemical symbols for the, for the seasons. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I, um, I like that. Oh, thank you. I actually use those on both of my websites. I can't, they're so important to me. I can't, but not use those symbols. They just, yeah. Those speak cool. to my soul. So yeah. So maybe it's my mission in life to try to convert Australia back to the proper seasons. <laughs> It's not going to happen, but no, exactly. You need to get some import some groundhogs or something. Um, no. <laughs> so uh, to your other half, to your uh, your STEM side, um, your the complementary medicine, sports nutrition side. Sure. Uh, yeah, I see you use cell salts. Oh yes, I use cell salts uh, for both sides of what I do. So yeah. So, okay. So, yeah. So was there a question, or you just want me to tell you? Yeah. How tell, I no, use them? please okay. tell me. Yeah, so, please. And do people, do your listeners know what cell salts are or do you want me to explain it? If they, if they listen to the episode with Robert Allen Bartlett, he, he described uh, how to make them and, and their history. But it, uh, if you, if you, if you'd like to, that'd be great. Oh, well, I can't, I can't really match Bartlett, <laughs> but um, I'm going to go back and listen to that one now too. So um, I'll explain it really basically um, rather than biochemically, but um, it's the, you know, Cell salts. So the way I learned about cell salts, and I'm sure Bartlett went back hundreds, if not thousands of years to their real um, start. But naturopathically, when we study cell salts, what we're taught is there was a doctor named Dr. Schussler, a German physician, mm -hmm. who 
um, did Bartlett go into this or did he go away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no, no. Okay, Okay, because I was like, oh, maybe there's more history I don't know about. Um, Schussler got the idea that if we burn the human body to ash, you know, if we, you know, which I'm sure has all chemical connotations, but I've actually never Mm -hmm. thought about it that way. Um, If you take a hopefully already dead person and, you know, cremate them into ash, we come out with these 12 combination of mineral salts that we're made of. And the idea was by giving one or more of these mineral salts, usually a lot more than one, you can help to balance or rectify in the body a lot of ailments or uh, dysregulation. It's not so much like, oh, this is going to cure cancer, fix a big you know, um, disease. It's more about balancing the body getting the body into a better balance. And, and then a lot of ailments are due to imbalances in these 12, what are known as tissue salts or cell salts. And they're made typically in a homeopathic 6X solution. Um, I won't go into describing that because I'm sure your listeners understand homeopathy. Um, and so um, we're taught those naturopathically, but the interesting thing is when you study medical astrology, you realize they, you know, there's 12 tissue salts and there's 12 mm-hmm. astrological signs. Did Bartlett go into this? No. Oh, so um, the beauty in natural medicine is there's so many things that come in 12s, um, sevens and 12s. And, you know, we've got the seven planets or the 12 signs. And um, so, I can't think of the name of the author, but I think the original book linking linking the s- tissue salts or cell salts to astrology is called The Salts of Salvation. has a little bit of a hint of, of Christian astrology and Lily <laughs> yeah. involved yeah. in it, but don't let, yeah. that, don't let that dissuade you. Um, if you just Google The Salts of Salvation, you can find it. Um, and so each... Each mineral salt got lined up with a certain astrological sign, and they are hilariously accurate or spookily mm. accurate for some of the ailments that, that that sign will often experience. And and so I learned them originally just atropathically, and then when I learned medical astrology, I was like, oh, this is an even better way to use them. Um, you know, so you know, sometimes when I'm treating people, I just treat people with straight naturopathic idea of what mineral salts to give. But often I will, if I have the ability to look at someone's natal chart, I will look at, you know, the cell salt that rules their sun, the cell salt that rules their moon, um, the opposing cell salt to their sun or moon, you know, what, what sign is opposite to that. Um, And I will also use their progressed moon. If anybody understands what a progressed moon is, it's kind of what we're evolving into. There's ways to look that up. And my understanding is we we burn through the mineral salt where our progressed moon is more quickly than any other mineral salt. And your progressed moon sign changes every, um, oh my gosh. Well, it changes every 30 months, every two and a half years. Hmm. Yeah. Do I need to explain what a progressed moon is? That'd be great. Oh, okay. Um, in astrology, we deem that you are your natal chart, your nativity, and you, you know that will never change, but you are also an evolving soul that needs to be learning about other things. Just like we look at transits, which is like where the planets are now in the universe and how that influences your natal chart. We also take 
so progressions are we take the sun and for every year, like we'll, I don't know if you tell listeners this, but do you know the degree and obviously, you know, your sign, but the degree of your sun. Oh, I can find that in just a second. Remind me your sun sign. Um, it's uh, Capricorn. Right. So let's, we can just make it up. You know, I think what, it's the 29th. Oh, oh, so you're born like the day before it goes into Aquarius. Right. Okay. So, okay, well, this is an easy or one. Or same day, but but in earlier in the day. Okay, awesome. Oh, my gosh. I love 29 degrees. Um, so um, we move the sun one degree for every year you're alive. So um, when you were, well, let's pretend you're born right when it turned to 29 degrees. So by the time you turn one, we would have progressed your sun one degrees. And in astrology, we use zero degrees to 29 degrees. So 29 is the last degree. So by the time you were one, your sun had actually progressed into Aquarius. You will still forever be a Capricorn. But for the next 30 years, you also have a little bit of this Aquarian filter happening. And then by Mm -hmm. the time you were 31 we would have progressed the sun into Pisces. Yeah. So there's just this other flavor to look at, Uh, you know, and that's, you know, what we do one degree for every year you're you're alive because it's, you know, the solar year is a one, one year kind of rhythm. Whereas we progress the moon one degree for every month you are alive because the moon rules months. And so that's where I'm saying the moon, your progressed moon. So you go through all 12 zodiac signs about every 27, 28 years, right? Oh, so it goes all the way around. So you actually have a progressed lunar return right before you have your Saturn return. And that's, that's kind of, yeah, that's another conversation in itself. But um, so your progressed moon changes about every two and a half years. And again, it adds just this other flavor to you. And, and it's, it's said that you should uh, look at the mineral salt that rules the sign that your progressed moon is sitting in. Presently, not born in. Presently. I mean, you always want to look at where your moon was born, but you, it might be in, like, I will often see people whose progressed moon goes into Pisces and Pisces rules the mineral salt or tissue salt or cell salt, whatever you want to call it, um, rules iron phosphate. And iron phosphate is like for the first stage of inflammation in the body and acute ailments. Or if you're just getting a head cold, you often take iron phosphate and can sometimes stop it. But it's also iron, right? It's iron phosphate. So it's interesting when the moon pops into, progressed into Pisces, how often people are suddenly anemic, you know, very low iron status. And they've been fine their whole life. And all of a sudden it just plummets. And um, it's amazing how often I see the progressed moon in Pisces when that shows up for people. Again, hmm. please never supplement iron as a, as a large dosage or, you know, don't just go and supplement it because you have progressed moon in Pisces. Um, definitely check your bloods to make sure you need it. But yeah, so cell salts are, yeah, I love cell salts. They're magic. Yeah, good advice. Uh, I'm uh, not just taking supplements. Yes, for, don't just any... take supplements. Seek advice from a practitioner that knows what they're doing. 
please. Yeah, blood tests, all that good stuff. You know, even supplements and herbs can be so dangerous. I'm sure you've exactly. talked about this. Uh, you know, it's the dosage that makes it safe or dangerous. And it also depends on what else is going on in your body and what else you're taking. So, yeah. And that's that's my worry in medical astrology is that people go and look things up and, oh, I rule this vitamin or I rule this, right. this herb, you know, these are the herbs listed under Aries or Taurus and people go and take them when they don't need them. You know, it's, it's medical astrology. Isn't like cookie cutter, just go take all this stuff. It's about at times those things might be really useful, but at other times not. Uh, I guess uh, let's talk about astro essences. What, what's an astro essence <gasps> oh. and how do you use those? So, um, oh my gosh. So are you talking flower essences or the astral, actual astrological essences that I've been making? Both. Well, I'd like to get into both, but whichever way you'd like to start. So, um, as many people would know, there are a lot of essences made out of all kinds of things in the world, um, from minerals to crystals to probably the most well-known are the flower essences. We have Edward Bach or Bach, whichever way you want to pronounce it. Um, he, Edward Bach was a, I think he was a virologist. Um, and he, but very sensitive soul in England, he created Bach flowers, which are, he originally created 12, fancy that number coming up again, 12 flower essences that are, they are you know, very different to herbal tinctures. They are, uh, you know, essences are made much more energetically, but they're, they are essences that are given, they're almost more homeopathic, but they're not quite homeopathy, um, that are given for emotional states to readjust certain emotional states within our body. And he originally created 12. In traditional naturopathy, I learned very European naturopathy, we learned the Bach flowers before we learned any other flower essences. And again, you've got 12 original essences. So somebody somewhere has taken Edward Bach's original 12 healers, as they're referred to, and lined them up astrologically as well. And I use those all the time. Bach, in the end, created 38 essences, but and I use them all, but I really, Rescue Remedy is probably the most famous, which is a combination of five of his essences. Mm -hmm. um, but I use his 12 healers all the time astrologically, and I have great joy in playing with them and my clients. And so I was originally or originally found in medical astrology writings about giving what's known as a maintenance remedy, where you give the box, so, you know, like, Aries Bach flower is impatience for, you know, people that are impatient or in a hurry. And, and there's a whole list of them. Um, I think you can find them on my website as a download. Um, but I was originally, or I originally read to give the Bach flower for your sun, your moon, your rising sign, as well as the Bach flower for your Mercury, which rules your mind. And for Saturn, which is about where we create fear and restriction in our life. And you combine those flower essences together and you take it, you know, as, as people take homeopathy or flower essences. But I've, I played with that original recipe and I do all kinds of crazy stuff with flower essences. Um, 
I just think they're so subtle yet so powerful. And those don't tend to have reactions with other medications, right? Um, which is brilliant. People do need to be aware that they're based in brandy. So if you are a person who is allergic to alcohol or purposely avoids alcohol and even the smell of alcohol, please don't use them. I have heard somebody makes little pillules of them that don't have any alcohol. Um, or if people are into radionics boxes, the black boxes that can create essences or homeopathic homeopathics, you could you could create a set of well, you can create any. Do you ever talk radionics? Am I getting we really yet. out there? No, or? you're okay. you're in good company, but we haven't done a radionics episode yet. No, okay. I, we oh, do I'll, need to do a radionics and dowsing episode. I just please. Uh, I have I have a few friends that are really into radionics, but um, we call it. I don't know if I'm here they say it, but in Australia we call it black black boxing, because mm-hmm. most of our radionic boxes that we were taught with were black. So um, radionics is wild. I love it. Um, yeah. but don't ask me to explain it. Um, um, so, so, you know, there's California essences, there's Alaskan essences. Basically you can make an essence out of anything. You know, there's, um, I know in Glastonbury in the UK at the chalice well, which is this really sacred, um, spring, like fresh spring, um, they make essences for the all the fire festivals, all the seasons we were talking about, because I, I have that set. Um, mm. So I, as a naturopath, I was taught all about essences. As an astrologer, I went further. And then, and other people have been doing this. This is nothing I invented. People have probably been doing this since forever. But I make lunar and solar essences, as well as festival day essences, where you take um i was taught to use a crystal bowl with spring water or filtered water if you're stuck in a city and you can't get to spring water and you put the bowl out on a certain day so you put it out you know under the sun on a certain day astrologically that you're looking for or a better way to explain it is i do it with the moon so you know at you can make a new moon essence like what new moon do we have coming up? I don't even know what I'm traveling. So I don't even know what, where we're at in the lunar cycle, which I shouldn't admit. Um, so what's the date today? August. So 21st. we're just changing into Virgo. So our next new moon is in Virgo. So if you want to make a, a, a Virgo new moon water, you would crystal ball spring water out into the moonlight at the beginning of the new moon. Um, now, if the new moon starts earlier in the day and it's not dark yet, I would probably still wait till it's dark. Um, you don't have to be perfect on these. Some people probably would say you do, but I'm a bit more open. Um, and you get the moonlight reflecting onto the water. If it's raining, if it's cloudy, you can still put it out energetically. It's it's getting into that water. And so you're capturing the essence of that new moon. It's That's referred to as a lunar water. And... Um, And I then take the waters that I make and then I combine them 50-50 water and brandy because that's what I was traditionally taught to use. Other people will use apple cider vinegar if they don't want to use an alcohol um, to stabilize it so that there's no fungal growth, you know, Mm -hmm. or, um, or, you know, um, and 
um, you use those in different, whether it's magical rituals or you give them as I actually make them into essences that people take or they anoint onto their body um, or are used, yeah, with all kinds of stuff. So it's a potentizing of water with certain astrological significance. You know, if you go into astro magic, they will look at all kinds of, and there's people who are better at this than me, but they will look at certain astrological lineups to imbue into whether it's, you know, paper or metal or materials or, um, or I, I tend to do essences because that's where my brain goes. And then I can, I then actually make, yeah, as I said, drops to take, or I'm lately been making, um, sprays. So almost like an, a body mist or a room mist with certain astrological makeups. And then I add in um, aromatherapy that matches that astrological makeup as well. That is a really, yeah, it's, I'm getting out there with it, but I'm loving it. It's the Fantastic. Al- alchemist in me. So yeah. So um, who who might you prescribe what? What, what would be an example of, of something someone might be, ex- um, you know, receive? Well, like I made an astrological water on a really auspicious Mercury in the sky, you know, the planet Mercury lineup. Mm -hmm. And Mercury is about the mind and study and communication. And so I made it on a really auspicious day when Mercury was probably, you know, um, there's actually some really good days coming up Um, because Mercury, right, you know, like when Mercury is in its rulership or its exaltation, as we say, um, but you're also looking at the lineup of the other planets <coughs> and how they're influencing that. And and so I've made these Mercury, I call it a Mercury devotional drops. And so on days that I really want to do writing and um, or research, when I really want to use my mind, um, you could also line it up and take it on a Wednesday, which is a Mercury day. Um you take that essence to help energetically bring in more mercury into your physiology. Um, I've made the thing that I've made recently. um, That's probably the best to explain going back to the lunar cycles is I, over the last probably took me three or four years to make these. I made lunar essences under all eight moon shapes, but I made it. So like, let's talk about the new moon and the full moon. I have lunar essences from every astrological new moon and full moon. So all 12 astrological signs. And I, you don't make these anywhere near an eclipse. So this is why it mm. takes a couple years to make these because you've got to avoid times near eclipses. Um, Cause that's not meant, that's meant don't take eclipse water ever, ever, ever. Um, so, uh, I made the eight phases of the moon into eight essences. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And then I matched up what each moon phase represents, you know, like new moon is about beginning and initiation of the start of projects. And, um, I matched up three flower essences that I thought fit each of the moon shapes. And so I've infused those all together. So I've made these lunar essences that people can get and take. And so you, you use it along with the visible moon cycle. 
Or if you want, you could go use it with your lunar phase return, like we talked about earlier, but let's probably stick to the uh, visible lunar phase. So you start the essences on the new moon and you take each essence every day um, during that phase. And then you move to the next one and then to the next one. I have a little booklet that comes with it that kind of teaches you what each of the phases is about. And and so that's that's my latest project. I didn't kind of mean to make them to sell. I made them for myself. It, that's my creativity side. That's what I do. That's my craft. Like people do art and drawing and I somehow make really wacky essences. <laughs> do you have to store them any particular way to keep well, them yeah, imprinted? Well, with with all herbs and essences, they should be kept in a dark, I keep them in a dark, um, you know, brown bottle, but you could use those beautiful, you know, blue cobalt bottles. Um, so I keep them in dark bottles and you keep them out of the visible sunlight. You know, if you live in a really hot climate, oh my God, you could put them in the fridge, but you don't need to. Um, you just, yeah, they're in brandy, so they are stabilized. But yeah, I would keep them. I wouldn't set them near your Wi-Fi router. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that could be a different energy in itself. But yeah, you just keep them in a, you know, out of the sunlight. Well, kind of along those lines of um, temperature, uh, do you do any, do you ever prescribe any um, temperature therapies, uh, hot, cold, anything like that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That probably goes back to you know, looking at somebody's elemental makeup, but also looking at the ailment somebody has. And is the ailment caused, is it more of a restrictive cold ailment that needs more heat to it or vice versa? Um, yeah, I I will prescribe, you know, cold water bathing to, you know, hot baths or foot baths of different temperatures. S- traditional naturopathy uses sits baths. So when people don't own big bathtubs, getting them in like a tub that you can at least fit your bum into, as we call it in, in Australia. <laughs> um, literally putting your seat in a bath, um, if you get the point. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, hot compresses, cold compresses, and then there's the whole use of herbs. And, you know, all herbs have been given energetics of, you know, heat and cold or damp or and and I do use herbs that way, not probably as efficiently as some other people I know, um, but I do. And foods, I definitely use foods and the style of cooking. You know, if you go into Waldorf Steiner's philosophies around cooking, they're mind blowing about quality of how you heat up a food and and how that brings. Like he, he has this whole thing around, you know. Um, quality of cooking over coals versus cooking with straw versus cooking with wood versus cooking with electricity and, and the difference, different quality that brings. So, and again, that goes back to the seasons and looking at, you know, in winter needing to bring more heat into the body versus summer and all your, you know, as we know, your watermelon and all your yummy, you know, watery fruits are available in summer because that's your body needs that cooling. So, oh my gosh, I don't think, yeah, but you got to yeah, live only, your life by elements, don't we? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, and wouldn't it be nice if we could eat food cooked in gold over a grass fire, right? Oh my God. Yeah, he had that real thing around grass or hay, it was hay or grass. I can't even remember. Yeah, but, anything that would grow annually, just quickly, quick yeah. growth. 
Yeah. And I think there's such a lineup to that and astrology. I mean, it's all from the same old chemical philosophy, really, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So earlier you mentioned, uh, you know, if you don't already, then putting the the seven healers lectures on your site. What are the what are the lectures are on your site? Oh my gosh, there's a ton, um, um, and I've just reorganized it. So hopefully, it makes more sense for everybody. There's a ton of one-off lectures available, um, but the biggest thing that I've done in the last. Two, uh, two years is I ran a two-part course. So the, each part has five lectures to it. I ran a two-part course last year during our COVID lockdown. And I ran medical astrology for health practitioners. Mm. So that is for people who probably work in the healing arts, but don't know a ton about astrology. I mean, if you do, that's fine too. But it was, it was taught very much for people who have a good physiology understanding. Not astronomical, but um, um, so that is actually, yeah, medical astrology for, for health practitioners. And it's, it's video and audio, obviously. Um, and that was a, that's an amazing, if you want to dive into medical astrology, that's a great one. This year, I'm, I'm halfway through teaching medical astrology for astrologers. So it's the same material taught at a lower physiological anatomy level, but taught at a higher astrological level. So I'm trying to kind of hit both sides of the people that, um, you know, contact me. And if you are mm-hmm. not an astrologer <laughs> or a medical practitioner, um, about to ask. that is a good question. Um, if you really don't know much astrology, I would probably go for the practitioner one, (laughs) believe it or not, um, because you won't get lost with the astrology. It's pretty basic. Um, or I have a, yeah, there's a ton and ton of one-offs, but all of them are kind of a little bit of astrology assumption. Yeah. Or there's a, you know, if you're not sure, go and what there's such a, t- you know, there's a ton of free podcasts to watch and listen to linked on my site. And you can get a really good feel if you're into this topic or not for free by watching all the podcasts. Yeah. And the introduction to medical astrology uh, presentation, oh, it's yeah. about an hour and a half is I really forgot, good. I forgot about that one. Yes. The intro is a good one, which is why it's there. I'm so it's sorry, cool, yeah. everybody. Yeah. Definitely that little, and it's like, I don't know, it's, it's, everything's in Australian dollars. So it's probably, you know, only like 25 US dollars or something. You know, I don't know. I can't even remember. But yeah, intro is just going to take you through the 12 signs and their astrological um, physiology connections. Yes. So what are you excited about in the, in the future of astrology and, and where would you direct research? Oh. No one's ever asked me that question. Um, what am I excited about? I'm excited. Oh, I'm excited about all the traditional techniques and how much people are getting into the traditions of astrology and translating things and bringing it into our modern use. Mm-hmm. But I'm also excited to to use what's now useful, I mean, to have the rules of the traditional, but to bring it into modern times and that we do have astrologers and people, you know, 
I don't want to get stuck in the traditional because I think we've moved on from there, but it's like the alphabet you have to have before you spell your big words. What am I excited about? Um, oh my God. I, I, um, everything. I, I'm more excited that we just have so much access to old text and new text, and we have access because of the web. We have access mm-hmm. to everything at our fingertips from history to modern people teaching that, you know, when I studied astrology originally, you know, 30 years ago, you were at the mercy of, I'm showing my age here, but you were at the mercy of the books you could buy and the people that you could actually physically go and hear lecture. And I think the beauty of astrology now is how global we are. That's what I'm excited about is it sounds very simple, but the internet and zoom has, enabled us to learn from people we never would have had the chance to learn from or learn about. And that's what I'm excited about. Yeah. A friend of mine, uh, Wei, is really excited. Uh, he calls this the age of air. It is. And, uh, mm. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, I'm drinking water. So true. We just, you know, we're probably almost in information overload. Um, and there's so many different areas we can go study. But yeah, I just think the access to global teaching is such a gift. What a gift. And if you were directing research, is there any research you would uh, push people toward? Oh, um, I'm that well, the research I'm really interested in is the lineup of like the female physiology body to lunar cycles to our hormone Mm -hmm. cycles, but I don't want to leave out everybody else. So I'm just interested. I mean, in medical astrology, I'm interested in really the, the, there's some research on how, um, People born at certain times of the year, so your astrology um, have, I mean, this is basic medical astrology, but science sometimes is looking at, um, oh God, I'm not explaining this well here, um, <laughs> why people born at certain times of the year tend to have certain ailments, and, and modern medicine is starting to look at that, and I'm really thankful for that, right? Like people born at certain times of the year hmm, have, you know, higher propensity for, you know, multiple sclerosis or diabetes. And I I love that modern medicine is looking that way. Although I'm happy to play with the medical astrology, you know, if modern science doesn't go look at it, I can live because I think if we look back to nature and to the planets, and we have so many answers, they don't have to be proven as long as we have that essence of how to understand it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, this is a question I ask uh, every now and then. Uh, what is something you'd like to speak more about, but you're hesitant because you don't think people are ready? Oh, no one has ever asked me that either. Um, mm, in astrology circles, I tend not to feel hindered in what I can talk about. And I'm really thankful for that. And like, it, you know, and I know your podcast isn't specifically astrology by any means. Um, but I have felt safe enough to talk about pretty much everything. Um, in my naturopathic sports nutrition circles, 
I have been very hesitant over the years to show my sacred side because naturopathy and trying to be accepted by mainstream medicine has had to trim down a lot mm. of its energetic, vitalistic, beautiful, more esoteric principles. In order to become accepted, we've, we've turned into this industry that's hunting to be evidence-based. Mm. And evidence-based medicine is beautiful, but to me, it's not everything. And I feel like in naturopathy, we're really losing the essence and the vibrational understanding of how the body works and heals. And, and we're kind of throwing that out to become more reductionistic. And mm -hmm. that makes me incredibly sad. And, and so I would wish for the world and in the naturopathic world that we not lose our roots of the energetics of how the body heals be it, you know, with alchemy, with medical astrology, with vitalism theory, because that's, the world is kind of craving that esoteric side to it, but to be accepted as a profession, we're kind of throwing it out. And yeah, that's, that's what I wish for. Did that make sense? It does. I, I think we're going to see a renaissance and a revival. I, so I do too. And, but I'm, I, um, and I'm probably part of that. I'm probably part of this mm -hmm, generation definitely. of people that has this combination. And I'm I'm becoming more willing to be verbal about it in scientific circles. I, I'm not ready to splash it. At, you know, I still have two websites, not one. Um, but I'm they're becoming. To, I'm happy to be part of that. They're becoming more the same thing, aren't they? They are, and I hope so. And I hope that doesn't stop because I teach at regular university. I teach just pure naturopathy, nutrition, and and fifty percent of my students want want the esoteric, and fifty percent literally roll their eyes and they don't want anything to do with it. And <laughs> I'm okay with that. And that's who you know. Those people can push the bounds of evidence based medicine because we need that too. But I don't think everything can be proven in a, you know, gold standard placebo double crossover blind study. You know, you right. can't you can't prove the energetics of the earth in a double blind study, right? But so, 20 years ago it probably would have been a 90/10 split for the rationalists. Probably <laughs> probably um yeah. But yeah, that's my wish is that we we don't lose our soul and our essence while we're just focusing on the mind. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, is there, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? I know you have some events coming up with uh, Judith Hill and, and others. Is there anything oh, yes. uh, else um, you'd like to share? Well, it's probably a bit late. I'm at an astrology conference next week called ESAR in Colorado, but that's probably a bit late for that one. Um, although often the recordings from that will be available on my website, a month or so later. Um, Judith Hill and I, um, along with um, another lecturer, Michael Bryant, um, who's joining us, um, are doing a kind of, started out as a half day, but I think it's getting longer and longer. Um, it's in October. The information's on my website or Judith Hill's website, a day of medical astrology. So if you kind of want to dive in and hear three very different lectures on medical astrology, that's coming up in October. Awesome. Um, really excited for that. 
Um, I have lectures in China coming up, but unless you're, um, um, that's your first language, I don't recommend those. Yeah, um, what's the reception like there? Look, China, you know, I was mm-hmm. listening to my the bio you read out, and I actually lecture a lot in Asia now, um, both Japan and China. Um, the Chinese, some are getting really fascinated with Western astrology. It has a huge surge at the moment now with the internet and what they can Mm. access at times. So um, there's two major astrology schools kind of based out of China. And um, I lecture for one called New Moon Astrology. And um, so I have a whole series of medical astrology that I do for them. Um, What else do I have coming up? I am trying to go on sabbatical to finish writing. I really have three different medical astrology books that I want to complete in the next six months. It's time. Awesome. Um, which sadly means I won't see as many clients for a few months, but I will be back, um, um, to see more clients. Um, um, yeah, it's time to get my stuff into, I lecture all the time, but I don't find the time to write. So I need to take more of my mercury devotional essence, and get myself Mm. into gear. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think, um, really, I can't think of what else I have coming up hopping on my website, or if you sign up for my newsletter, I promise to only send stuff like once a month. Um, but I will always list what's coming up and what's going on there. That's probably the best way to find out what I'm up to. Excellent. Again, those websites are astrologyofhealth.com and, uh, the complimentary medicine and sports nutrition site. Uh, kirasutherland.com.au. Yeah. Yeah. And they're Thank very you, different, very different info between those two. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Will. It's such a, what a joy. Those were some of my the, pleasure. You know, I haven't been asked some of those questions ever and that's really fun. I like awesome. it. I like it. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Okay. 